0: This is 99 max Hedrum. Hello? Anybody home? Hey! me gently with the chainsaw. Do mother Teresa? Our generation may not remember the moon landing, but we remember moon boots. If you owe a few cavities to candy cigarettes, learned your adverbs from schoolhouse rocks, burned your shins on a hot metal slide with sharp edges, exploding pop rocks for science, and you still want your MTV, then this podcast is for you. Dancing with Myself is dedicated to the decade of excess, the 1980s. So pull up your leg warmers and let's get physical. Hello, I'm Heather and welcome back to Dancing with Myself, a podcast dedicated to my favorite decade, the 1980s. Producer George Lucas and director Steven Spielberg famously conceived the idea for Indiana Jones on a vacation in Hawaii, watching Lucas's dog, Indiana, galloping about the beach. We named the dog Indiana, silk Sean Connery's Henry Jones Sr. in The Last Crusade. They still remember those childhood adventure stories of explorers fondly. Why not introduce them to a whole new audience? That vacation musing turned into a movie that is practically perfect. Raiders of the Lost Ark updated the often shaky effects of the movies that inspired it and recruited the greatest stuntmen in the business. Instead of a California desert, Spielberg and crew went to North Africa and employed proper locations and hundreds of extras. The script was zingy, the romance reminiscent of the great screwball banter of bringing up Baby, and the stakes literally biblical. But the real key was finding the right Indiana Jones— Tom Selleck famously auditioned and was offered the role before his commitment to Magnum P.I. prevented him from taking it. And Tim Matheson came close. But despite Lucas's reluctance to repeat his Star Wars casting, there was only one choice as the world's worst archaeologist and greatest movie hero. Harrison Ford brought sardonic wit, an edge of self-awareness, and a gift for comic timing that made Indiana Jones an immediate hit. In that first outing, the supporting cast was equally inspired— Karen Allen's Marion was the perfectly spunky foil to his hangdog hero, and Paul Freeman's Belloc is one of the greatest faux genteel villains. The importance of Spielberg's inspired touch was never better felt than here. There's a fake-out where a Nazi pulls a terrifying torture device from inside his leather jacket, only to reveal that it's a hanger for his coat. The swordsman in the bazaar engaging in a dazzling display of skill until Indy simply shoots him. Famously, this was originally a lengthy whip sword duel trimmed because both star and director had food poisoning. The Nazi monkey poisoned dates and snake-infested Egyptian ruins offered the same familiar beats we'd read in Tintin or watched in those old adventure stories, but just taken a little bit further and funnier or scarier than we'd ever seen before. Andy screws up far more often than he succeeds. And there's a fair amount of argument that had he set out the events of Raiders entirely, the outcome would have been much the same. The Nazis still would have been fried by the wrath of God and the Ark still left unusable by Hitler. However, the point is not how often he fails, but how hard he tries to do the right thing. He is a profoundly human hero, and that's something that was mercifully sustained through the prequel and the sequel that followed. Fan opinion seesaws on the follow-ups The Temple of Doom and The Last Crusade. At the time, Doom was held as a byword for a disappointing sequel, a darker and more twisted follow-up with a less satisfying love story, while Last Crusade was considered more satisfying and closer in tone to the original. Certainly the addition of Sean Connery as Indy's dad worked, even if in actuality he is only 12 years older than Harrison Ford. Lately, however, the compass has swung the other way. Doom's hard edges have been embraced and its bravery acknowledged. And those weird flourishes, like Cole Porter and Mandarin, sure, accepted as seasoning. The movie's cultural insensitivity has aged less well, admittedly, but there's meat on its bones. The Last Crusade, meanwhile, came to seem a little contrived and patronizing. Its witty prologue, which explains all Indy's quirks, from snake phobia to scarred chin, and with River Phoenix as the young Henry Jones Jr. has become the model for the inevitable origin story in every modern movie franchise, and its reputation has suffered from association with all those lesser incarnations. The fact is that both of the latter 1980s Indiana Jones movies are better than we have any right to expect, filled with excitement and terror and the thrill of learning new things. And Raiders remains practically perfect in every way. If Adventure has a name, as the tagline of Temple of Doom said, it must be Indiana Jones. Did you know there weren't enough snakes in England for the Well of Souls sequence? So Spielberg had a hose cut to the right length and scattered around the set. Hey, oh Show of hands, please. Whose parents smuggled them into a drive-in movie by hiding them in the back seat of the car to avoid paying a measly $1.25 for a child ticket? Everybody's? Yeah, that's what I thought. Drive-in movies were more than just another entertainment option. They were an endurance test. If your parents opted for a triple feature, they would show up before dusk, jockey for a good parking spot, then drive home bleary-eyed six hours later. In between, it was a melange of popcorn, bug spray, cigarettes, and beer. Dad would roll down the window halfway and affix the clunky corded speaker, and the tinny audio would pierce your eardrums. Car after car would be crammed with toddlers in footie pajamas, all struggling to make it through even the first hour of Freaky Friday. They would inevitably conk out in the backseat only to wake up for a second, catch a glimpse of mom and dad making out, and pray for the sweet release of sleep. Older kids would be out prowling the grounds. Theater playgrounds let you meet and mingle with other kids from the grade school. On the other side of the tracks, you know, maybe the tough kids, you could slink around and hunt for cars with steamed up windows, then jump and terrify the hormone raging teens inside. Or maybe it was just your parents. By the time you got back to your own country squire, who cared if you even saw the movie? And of course, drive-ins have been replaced by VCRs and cable TV. It started the drive-in decline. Now giant TVs are making it much easier for the average Joe to approximate the drive-in feeling at home.